This is a podcast from Rover. Welcome back into the Sunday edition of Rex Rural Exchange. You're listening across the country on Today FM, or you might be listening back uh, on the podcast of the show. And you can get the podcast uh, recommended to your friends. Anybody, uh, any purveyor of fine podcasts, you'll be able to find Rex. Well, most people view goats as pests. We remember, of course, the big, uh, some big operations back in the 80s. But they could actually become a profitable part of your farming business. And hill country farmers are being urged not to ignore the goat meat, the milk and fibre international market opportunities. A goat farming expert and Capronex Managing Director Garrick Batten joins us now to tell us more. Garrick, thank you very much uh, for your time. Um, Gee, the old goat uh, making a comeback. Well, I'm not sure that it's ever gone away. I mean, it's always yep. been there. It's just that some people don't seem to recognise the opportunities it creates for a, a relatively quick and simple and cheap pathway to, to cope with the current and future attacks on hill country profitability that are facing us at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you think there's a boatload of opportunities to promote New Zealand grass-fed goat meat to the world. Take it to the world. Well, that's, that's an end point, but there's a lot of other attractions that goats have for, for hill country farmers, and the, part of the problem is that it's difficult to put a dollar value on them because they tend to be indirect, like the fact that goats don't like water, so you don't have to fence them off uh, in, 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 in hill country. Um, mm. You know, there's re- reduced feed costs because they're eating plants that other animals aren't eating and they're at the same time they're also improving the clover content of the pasture so that's improving the overall feed quality for the other animals and and enhancing nitrogen fixation which is pretty important and there's some huge benefits in biological weed control not only getting rid of chemicals but also avoiding the uh, the mechanical and chemical uh, risks and the work and safety risks of, of other methods of weed control so these these are the sort of indirect benefits uh, but then you add to that the, the meat opportunities, uh, which are there and always have been, uh, because goat meat is interesting because about the only specification that farmers need to consume themselves is, is, is weight of the carcass. They're not required to provide animals meeting certain finishing specifications or age or anything else. But there are other specific opportunities in, in uh, key markets and the one that, that I've been interested in because of my association with goats in the United States is the American meat market, which is undersupplied. They only, eat, they only supply half their own meat and they import the rest from elsewhere. And uh, particularly Australia, where Australian farmers are paid more than New Zealand farmers for some strange reason for uh, goat meat. And our goat meat is, in fact, better suited to their market because it's younger and um, and better and smaller and better carcasses are better suited to their requirements. So there's an interesting dynamic going on at the moment because goat meat in the United States, grass-fed goat meat in the United States, sells at retail level um, at equivalent or even better than uh, than lamb. And we know how important lamb sales to the United States have been in the last few months. Do we have a domestic market for goat meat, Garrick? I've never really seen it or heard of it in New Zealand. And what does goat meat taste like? I've also never had goat meat, so I'm quite intrigued here. Shame on you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to admit this. Yeah. The, the, there, is a, there is a significant domestic goat market, mainly with ethnic consumers. 
mm-hmm. um, who want their traditional traditional meat. And they prepare it in various ways. So, I mean, we can't get too far into the culinary aspects of this because, you know, the Jamaicans are not very notable for their goat curry, which is everything, bones, muscle, meat, whatever. Um, and um, and other people cook them, uh, particularly at festival times, small carcasses are, are prepared whole. Um, some, of the, some of the more adventurous um, fine dining table restaurants are using goat meat as a, a specialty dish and preparing it in different ways. Uh, so, I mean, more people in the world eat goat meat than, than other meat, so there's an awful lot of people pr- cooking it and preparing it and serving it in, in different ways. So you better do some travelling and then you might be able to eat it. Yeah, yeah, well, I should. I mean, I'm not opposed to eating it. I've That's just good. never had the opportunity. It's, it's really good. I've yeah. eaten goat meat here and uh, goat meat kind of like, when it's sort of that sort of lamb rack looking kind of chop, uh, you know, uh, I love it. It's, it's it's nothing wrong with it, and I mean, I shouldn't even say that. It's excellent and cooked the some of these ways that Garrick's talking about. It's just got me positively salivating right now. I just yeah. I just know we had a lot of wild goats on our previous farm, and you talked about how they don't need any fence, and you don't need to fence them, Garrick. But I'm curious as to how what the best way to muster them is because we could never get the blimmin' things. In and they certainly don't stay in because they like to jump. Exactly right, or, or burrow underneath. Even even more so, they burrow underneath fences rather than jump them. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's that's one of the keys to to farming them. But one of the aspects that goats have that, well, I probably should start again and say the problem that that people have is they don't understand the differences between goats and they're very different from sheep and cattle and they've got to be treated differently and so that's part of the problem. The other thing is there are different sorts of goats so there's angora goats and there's dairy goats and there's cashmere goats and meat goats Mm. and just bush goats which are farmed for pastoral grazing reasons and they're all different and it's very difficult in fact to to, uh, transfer some of the Farming lessons and management systems from one breed to another—they're much, much different. Those breeds are much more different than between cattle and, and sheep. And then, and then they're capable of different uses. For instance, I mean, they produce milk, as you know. The dairy goat industry has been reasonably profitable, particularly in, in earlier years. Um, and they produce fibre. So we've had the, as you said, we've had the uh, goat fibre booms in the 80s. Well, the cashmere market, in fact, is still there. Uh, and the mohair market is still there too, although it goes up and down a bit more. But the cashmere market now is just as profitable, as, as, in fact, even more so now than it was back in the 80s. And they control weeds, as I say, and so you're getting the benefits of that. And so, uh, and, and I've talked about the, the pasture quality. But part of the problem that farmers have is, is learning how to manage them. And one of the things benefits they've got is that they are intelligent, so you can train them readily, but it needs a bit of thought about how you train them. And they're also very easy to train to electric fences, but they, need, again, need specific training. And once they're trained to electric, electric fencing, they're very easy to control. But the second thing about it is to reflect how they, how they graze, because they move a lot, so they don't actually like being paddock grazed uh, unless they're shifted regularly. And the, the, the key to this is just basically open the gates and let them uh, pick what they want around the farm, and they'll look after themselves, they'll feed themselves better, they'll do the pastures better, and they won't be so prone to escape. But mm. so having said all that, 
as you said, getting in a mob of feral goats can be difficult to start with, and you need to eliminate one or two troublemakers. But apart from that, <laughs> and they were the basis of all the all the goats farmed in the 1980s when one yeah. in six farmers had goats on their farms. Yeah, yeah, they did. They did. Uh, you saw all those sheds emerging and everything. Hey, Garrett, you've been involved since the 70s. Uh, tell us about the uh, well, the breeds that the the is it the is it the Kaiko and the Kaikanui goats and the you had a hand, a big hand in establishing those here in New Zealand. Yeah, we developed the breeds in, in New Zealand. My wife and I developed Kiko and, and Kikanui goats. Yeah. Um, and the Kiko goats largely were sold into the United States, where they're now the second most numerous and, and uh, wow. known meat goat in the United States. Yeah. Um, and um, then we redeveloped them, if you like, as the Kikanui goat, because mm-hmm. uh, Kikanui means better than Kiko, and yeah. they're developed specifically for pastoral hill country farming for these reasons that I've been talking about, rather than specifically meat, because as said, under our marketing system at the moment, meat meat is an end product of all those other benefits. Having said all that, as I said, there are specific, there is a, well, there are specific markets, but we've been talking about the American market, Uh, but that needs some special management. You, You can't just necessarily expect the same management of goats that produces the current meat product which we export or eat locally uh, to suit the to suit the uh, American market which has some some specific requirements that's not impossible in fact it's relatively easy but it needs a, a changed mindset from just having goats running around the farm Yes, which is the case, uh, was the case at our place. We don't actually have any at our new farm. But for those farmers who are keen to, to know more or get started on incorporating goats into their hill country farming or any farming, where do they start or where should they go? <laughs> well, um, gosh, I could talk goats all day. The problem, <laughs> the problem uh, the, to, answer, to answer your question is that Farmers first of all need to decide what they want to do, you know, which objective they they're trying to achieve. And because once you start to get more than one objective in the goat management system, you start to complicate things very much. So you, from a, from a start, it's better just to choose one objective, and it might be producing meat, it might be controlling weeds, it might be improving uh, clover content, and so on. So once you've decided that objective, you then that dictates the sort of goats you want, and if it's K cashmere, well then you need to get some uh, cashmere breeding genetics. If it's mo- angora, uh, mohair, you need to get some angora goats, and, and so on. So having th- having made those decisions tends to provide the answer to where, where you go from there. But there are some certain basic principles, and, um, and I've tried to encapsulate them in, in a book called uh, Big Bucks for Pastoral Farmers, which is available for sale. Um, but apart from spruiking that book, uh, talking to farmers who are already farming goats in a commercial sense, doing the, thing, the same thing that you want to do on your farm with your goats for the objective that you've decided is probably the best way to, to start. Very good. That is uh, Kaepernick's Managing Director, uh, goat farmer extraordinaire, I'm going to say on that, uh, Bex. uh, Garrick Batten joining us out of Brightwater, south of uh, Nelson there. And uh, he's really uh, piqued my interest in the the goats there. And um, 
Well, he was no. certainly very passionate about the goats. Like, oh, I thought yeah, he was... and knowledgeable. And I think, you know, you, you can tell when you when when you hear somebody's voice, he's very, uh, very passionate about them exactly and, and, and believes in their contribution and the, the role that they could have on farm for those who are not currently taking advantage of that. Uh, big bucks for pastoral farmers. That's Garrick's book. Uh, if you, you get online, you'll better find that, I imagine. It sounds like a great the title sounds great. I'm yeah. sure most farmers would be Big keen bucks. on that. I love it. Big bucks. Big that's bucks. beautiful. I mean, because that's a bit of a pun too, isn't oh, it? Oh, that's a very good pun, isn't it? Yeah. I think it's world class, actually, to be honest. But I um, found it quite interesting how there's different, you know, depending on what your objective is, that that is going to determine what breed you have. You can't have yeah. one breed that you can get some cashmere and then you can have meat and, you know, you have to be quite specific about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you've got to, as he said, you've got to, what are you, what are you getting them for? Is it, you know, is it grow more clover, control the weeds, meat, cashmere, mohair, know your goat and then get them and go from there, I guess. Um, know your goat. Know your goat. Hey, eh? <laughs> Know your goat. Big bucks for pastoral farmers. Uh, Garrick Batten is the author and great to have Garrick with us here on the show on Rex Rural Exchange here on your Sunday edition. Next up, we're going to be talking to uh, Lindsay Stratford, from, uh, who's from down country, down sort of down by uh, the Catlins, I understand, uh, the coast down there. Uh, and, of course, uh, Lindsay with uh, the uh, Nuffield, uh, Nuffield uh, rural leader there and did some research on, on the farm, safety on farm. Primary people founder uh, Lindsay Stratford is coming next here on Rex.